Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. Dean Wave Debbie, for the record. My name is Carrie. I'm Dean. And yes, you heard that right. There is only two of us yes. here. We're empty nesters for tonight. <laughs> for a few hours, They're maybe. Out gallivanting. <laughs> so we decided to do a podcast without those little bastards. With adult beverages as well. Yes, I'm having a Topo Chico hard seltzer. I believe it is guava something. What you, and you're having something that tastes like piss. Oh, my Lord. Sorry, we won't get the sponsorship of the Yeah, bottom. Kona Spiked Island Seltzer Passion Fruit Orange Guava Flavor. Sounds good. Tastes awful. It's not bad. Agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, zero sugars, only two <laughs> grams of carbs, and 100 calories. And an aggressively awful flavor. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just so everybody knows, Dean thinks if he doesn't like something, it's truly awful. It's a fact. Objectively. It's simply a fact. It's, it's not an objective a fact. fact. No, that's not true. <laughs> I, there are some things. That I'm, I'm, I'm backing off of that. There are some things that I know. I, like, I don't like tomatoes, but I totally get people liking tomatoes. I don't like mustard or beans. And if you like mustard or beans, you're an evil spawn of Satan. Yeah. That's just those differences. No, there yeah, shouldn't be. What's okra. the difference? I don't like okra. Totally get people who like an okra. What's okra. the difference? I don't know. My subjective opinion. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dork. As he drinks another drink. No. Oh, what? Dean, tell us something weird. There you go. So today we are going to delve into the issue of alien up. Wow. With one of the most famous abduction cases ever. You've, I don't know if you've heard of this or not. When I say famous abduction case, it's famous in, within a relatively small part of the population, like, but still. I'll take a stab. Is it Betty? What's her name? It is not Betty. That is probably oh. the most famous. Yeah. Betty and, and Barney Hill, but this there is not that. Go. We'll do that one day. I do want to do that, but I, this one's a little... This one is, if anything, is a little stranger. Betty and Barty Hill almost become a trope. If, if you take it in isolation, in 1961, the story was weird and out there and strange. Now it almost seems hackneyed because it's been <laughs> copies, yeah. you know, that this car that stalls and all that kind of stuff and the experimentation. Betty and Barney Hill kind of really kind of formed the rough shape of, of abductions into what they are today. So are you saying it didn't really happen to Betty and Barney? Betty and Barney? Hill? We'll save that for the episode we do Betty and Barney. I know, because it could have. And then every everybody after them is That's a copycatter. Or, no, RR is really happening, and these aliens are doing similar things to different abductees. That's true. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to tell the story of Linda Cortile. Wait a second. Have you heard of that? No, but no. I just noticed something. Betty and Barney... <laughs> Like Betty and Bernie Rubble. Yes. From the Flintstones. Okay. Damn. <laughs> Quite the insight. Carrie act like, oh my God. Eureka. I have discovered yeah. something pretty important. They were named after the Rubbles. Yeah. I don't think that's true. Okay, sorry, no. Okay. So Linda Cortile. I'll just I'll give you the bare, just kind of the, the bare bones of what happened, because we'll get into the details in a little bit. But Linda Cortile was sleeping in her bedroom in nineteen eighty nine in Manhattan. When she was pulled out of her apartment by a blue beam through walls and windows, through a wall, okay, and into the warm embrace of an alien spaceship where they did some things to her. Was it truly a warm embrace? Was it a pleasant experience for her? Not super pleasant, but it didn't seem to freak her out all that much at all. Okay, but 
Although that's Linda. And she described the, they're, they're gray aliens, the typical, you know, big eyes, big heads, skinny limbs, short. The, the, the stuff, the, the aliens they pulled out of the Roswell wreckage kind of were, a thing. Were they think naked that. or did they have clothes on? No. And, you know, all of it, it's funny you say that because most of what I read, they don't really describe the aliens that much other than to say that they're basically grays. Yeah. So she was abducted and put back into her apartment after a couple hours or so. And it became a real cause celeb. And, and what I want to start with is why it became such a big case. So we're going to introduce a couple of critical characters into this first. A person named John Mack and a person named Bud Hopkins. Those people are critical to this, particularly, I guess, the latter. But we'll start with the former. We'll start with John Mack. These are movie names. John Mack? John Mack and Bud Hopkins. They kind of are. Kind of. Yeah. Bud Hopkins would be like a stuntman. And John Mack would be the actor, probably. Or maybe mm-hmm. the director. No, I mean character names. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. John Mack, though, was a real person. That was his real name. He was a Harvard University psychiatrist. He had, had in fact, won a Pulitzer Prize for about his biography of T.E. Lawrence, who most people know as Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. It was kind of a psychological study of T.E. Lawrence. He had studied childhood nightmares and was generally was, you know, by the 70s and 80s, was a very well-respected Again, Harvard University psychiatrist yeah. on, in their psychiatry staff or psychology department. I'm not sure. But then his research took a strange turn. First, he started to study drugs and kind of things that sort of expanded consciousness. Oh. This is 70s and into the... So this is, a little LSD mushroom action. There, there were... Harvard? He worked with people who did, who did that, who okay. did do that. Then his wife... She developed, she was also something of a, she's kind of a new ager. She developed a breathing technique that she said expanded <laughs> one's consciousness. So you don't even have to drop some acid. You so can just yeah, breathe. It's it's like, hyperventilated. <laughs> and it's voila. Like the, the choking game that tweens do now. I don't think I want to hear any more about that. Okay. <laughs> I am I'm upset that you even brought that up. She worked with a group called New Age, I'm sorry, a New Age group called the Esalen Institute in California, which was, eh, I don't want to, you know, mischaracterize it, but they're a little culty and very New Age and very strange. And she got into things like reincarnation and came to believe, I'm sorry, she got into reincarnation and, and John, her husband, kind of followed her and got into reincarnation. He came to eventually believed that he had been a Russian father in the 16th century who saw his four-year-old son decapitated by, by the Mongol hordes. So Aww, that's terrible. he was kind of into the rabbit hole. John Mack, this, again, fairly prestigious psychiatrist working with Harvard. Yeah, He was also working with, I, you mentioned that there was a Czech psychoanalyst named Stanislav Grof who experimented with LSD, and that was a major, major sort of almost not, I don't know, mentor is probably not the right, right way, but Groff yeah. got Mac into these kinds of studies. Well, they were probably ahead of their time. I mean, they were f- mm. of their time, but. Mm. <laughs> you know, if you know the conclusions, they were not ahead of their time. <laughs> well, no, of course, but I mean. I know what you're talking about. You're yeah. talking about treating mental disorders and mental afflictions with microdosis and things like yeah. that. This was not that. Yeah. This was no, more I know, age, but expanding consciousness kind of stuff. Yes, but that's part of it, I think. And I think that, you know. 
Yes, I suppose. I mean, they had an idea, right? Yes. That, that this yes. could be therapeutic. But remember, I know, I've said this before, and I know that the, it's a fine line, but doctors, psychiatrists, they're not scientists. It's not the same thing. What they do is not the scientific method. What they do is they learn things, very technical things, very difficult studies, but they're not, they're not researchers. There are medical researchers. Those yeah. people are scientists. Yes. Psychiatrists are not scientists. They, they don't work in the scientific method every day. Um, again, may, right, not uh, the ones John Mack was a biographer. Yeah. Yes, which is what he, he did. He was not a, a um, so he was not really a, a scientist. I, 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 that sounds weird, but it really is true. And it's, it's a meaningful distinction. They didn't use a rigorous experimental methods and things like that. That's not what they did or understood, especially not back then. They were so, dabblers. There was not that. It's not that. It's a different field. They do different things. They learn different no, things and they I have mean, different methods. When they were experimenting with LSD and stuff like mm. that, they were dabbling in it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I bet you those weren't super rigorous. Let's do the covariance test. Yeah. No, they weren't doing that. They Nova and Ancova. Plus, by this point, John Mack became something of an embarrassment to Harvard, as you might understand. So they kind of scolded him in a letter, but ultimately they left him in place. At They didn't fire him. And he was, they basically cited academic freedom. Some people, some John Mack supporters say, oh, this is, he was exonerated, but he wasn't exonerated. It was more like, we don't want to make this guy a martyr. We yeah. have a lot of people at Harvard who really do value academic freedom. They think he's crazy, but he has a right to be crazy. He's a tenured professor. That's, you know, so, so he was left alone. He stayed at Harvard. Hmm. And, but eventually that was the 1980s war on, Mac took another endeavor. He became obsessed with UFOs and specifically with UFO abductions. Hmm. So Seems he's a little out of the realm of a psychiatrist. It's completely. Yeah. I mean, well, not if it depends. I mean, he's looking at the psychology of these abductees. Oh, in okay. A sense. Okay, that's he, different. But he also used hypnotic regression as one of his methods yeah. to get at the, to elicit these abduction stories from from dozens of people who, remember, by definition, came to him already thinking they were abducted by aliens. Right. So th there's the scientific method. They're not, that's, that's, that's a selection bias. But he was on the Oprah Winfrey show. Shocker. Oprah had him on. Wow. Hmm, go fig. He was published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine. So Because he was a big, pretty big deal. So he's yeah. publishing this kinds of stuff in some meaningful publications and getting the word out on some major TV shows and things like that. He even had a program at Harvard called the Program for Extraordinary Experience Research, which was funded in part by a, a Rockefeller scion, Lawrence Rockefeller. So he was a pretty big deal. And he's bringing it, not, not the mainstream's too much of a, yeah. to say, but he was bringing a lot of attention to this alien abduc abduction phenomenon. By the end of the 1980s, Mac was now, he was just, he was down the rabbit hole pretty deeply, so he was ready to go even deeper when he met a guy named Bud Hopkins. Bud Hopkins was this, earlier he had been this kind of trendy, very successful, abstract impressionist artist. He knew like Jackson, Jackson Pollock and some of the big, de Koenig and some of the big abstract artists. He was a, a successful artist. He, though, over time, had morphed into this UFO expert, and this, specifically this abduction, alien abduction expert and guru kind of a thing. And it, all, it traces back, he, he would later say that it, back in 1964, he was on Cape Cod, and he had seen a UFO, and that kind of gave mm. him the bug, and he, he went from there. And then later on in the 60s, he did kind of a solid for a neighbor. A neighbor came to him and, and said, you know what, I saw a spaceship land in a park in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and about nine or 10 really little tiny aliens came out of the spaceship. 
and would you look into it for me? I'm, you know, <laughs> and so Hopkins did. So he kind of just started. That was kind of the beginning of him researching these these UFO phenomena. Um, Why would you ask your artist uh, friend to look into? They must. He must have known he was into it already because remember oh. he had he already seen the UFO okay. and he had written about it. Hopkins was writing about UFOs and, and these in um, things like the Village Voice and even Cosmopolitan. He was kind of the part of the New York literati set because you know he's a, yeah. the, you know New York New York publications. They publish things by New Yorkers. <laughs> they don't claim they do, but they do. And there's a real New York-centric bias to these things, especially back then. So since he was this famous New York artist, he got his articles about UFOs and stuff like that in Village Voice and Cosmopolitan. Uh-huh. So this is kind of the beginning of the alien abduction craze or, or you know, events. And those who thought they had been abducted by aliens with all sorts of terrible things happening to them began to contact Hopkins. He was just, he became identified because they had whatever, they read right. or heard about his articles and things like that. So they started to contact him. They read his piece in Cosmo. In, in Cosmo or, <laughs> or heard about it. Or they, they probably did. A lot of, I'm sure a lot of these initial ones were from New York City. Yeah. Well. You're right. Village Voice is more, is people more New York. In Ohio Cosmo read is, Cosmo. They do. They do. Reluctantly and they hide it in the brown cover. No, they don't. No, they don't. My mom read Cosmo. Cosmo was a women's magazine. Really? It, it, actually, it was a men's magazine, and then by the 60s and 70s, it became more of a women's magazine. Yeah, Cosmo was kind of considered, I just remember when I was a kid, it was considered kind of a women's magazine. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's But it is. wasn't originally that. I think it still is. Yeah. Is it really? Okay. Okay, I checked into that, and no, Cosmo was not a men's magazine. It was kind of a general interest literary magazine for most of its existence until, I guess, the 1960s. Sorry about that, Cosmo. Hopkins responded to this by sort of just lunging into this alien, alien abduction movement whole hog. And he soon kind of became the father of the abductive phase into, he became kind of this mainstreamer of alien abduction to a degree. Again, I don't exaggerate. It was never really mainstream, but he brought it to a much, much wider audience. And he did this through a 1981 book called Missing Time talking about alien mm. abduction. So he'd, he'd been doing this research for, for years now. He wrote this book in 1981. It was a big seller. And that really brought the, the whole phenomenon into... Do you have your phone with you? Yeah. Can you look up a, a when communion was written? That was the Whitley Strieber book that also brought alien abduction into a huge, huge, huge wide audience. So when Hopkins met Mac in early 1990, January of 1990... Hopkins was just beginning to investigate another abduction case which had fallen into his lap that he thought was more spectacular than most. He was looking into the case of Linda Cortile. Hmm. You want to know? Yes. 1987. 1987. Okay. So by those two, Strieber and Hopkins, wrote those two important abduction books and it became, you, do you recall? I mean, it was a kind of a, it was a, I remember I, it very well. I remember I lots of too. stories yes. going around, lots of people saying they're abducted. It became a, yep. quite the thing there in the 80s. Yeah. So Hopkins is investigating this Linda Kyle case in early 1990. He just happens to meet John Mack, this Harvard psychiatrist who's also into UFOs. And he, so Hopkins gave Mack a bunch of letters from people claiming they had been abducted. He'd been, again, he'd been collecting these things for years. So right. he gave Mac, here's a box of letters. You know, tell me, you're a psychiatrist. What do you think? Mac was instantly hooked. They just seemed so normal to him. They came from every walk of life. They were like students, prison guards, homemakers, business people, everybody. 
seemingly such super normal people. Uh, and a lot of them said they had physical proof. They had cuts or sometimes little scoop marks out of them. And they <laughs> claimed this is a proof that I was experimented upon and, and scrapes and things like that. They also sometimes occasionally had some kind of witnesses back at the stories. Like sometimes they said, oh, and my husband or wife saw that I wasn't there when I was in the alien ship or something yeah. like that. Sure. These letters talked about other, other witnesses who had seen, you know, lights in the sky, UFOs around the time that they were abducted. Again, John Mack not understanding cause and effect or understanding the validity of or the lack of, of eyewitness testimony, let alone the fact that there's some letters claiming right. eyewitness testimony that may or may not have been real. John Mack didn't matter. He believed everything. He was omnivorous in his belief and his lack of guile. The witnesses, they just couldn't be all wrong. The, the people were too normal. They couldn't make this up. They couldn't all be deluded. How does he know they're normal? Because they were <laughs> students and prison guards and business people oh, and homemakers. So all they students were normal. are normal. All mm -hmm. homemakers are normal. Of course, obviously. They couldn't make this stuff up. This was a man who studied psychology. Yeah. Didn't just believe them unequivocally. That's weird. So am I, something more, I think, was going on in John Mack's own head at this point. Yeah. But he believed him, and he believed yeah. everything about it, and he was became a big proponent of it. And he would actually later write a book of his own about it in 1996. Hmm. So Bud Hopkins and John Mack together would make Linda Cortile kind of niche famous in the 1990s. So now let's go back. Okay. Here's what happened to Linda. It's November 30th, 1989. She was a 40-something, I believe she's a homemaker, at the time, she was married, had two kids. So she's asleep in her bedroom in living her apartment. Living in Manhattan? Living in Manhattan. Her, uh, I don't know what her husband did, but they lived in Manhattan. They lived in a high-rise apartment complex. It had hundreds of units. Yeah. I don't know if it was like, uh, multiple buildings or not. I think it was. It was near the Brooklyn Bridge in kind of lower Manhattan. And it was on the, their, their uh, unit was on the 12th floor. It's about 3.15 in the morning, November 30th, 1989. Linda kind of just sort of wakes up a little bit and she looks out into the murkiness around her and she realizes that she's not alone in her bedroom. There are three people, question mark, humans but not quite humans, yeah. standing there looking at her in her bedroom. She freaks out. Well, presumably her husband's there. Her husband's lying asleep next to her. Okay. So she screams. Yeah. This, though, and some insistent shaking of him does not wake up her husband, who is still remains dead asleep, lying right next to her throughout this entire event. He never has any eyes or ears on anything. He's asleep throughout the entire event. This sounds like my dream when Lisa was throwing blocks at me. It does or, sound like a dream, doesn't it? Yes. Or when the witch <laughs> came into our room and I tried to scream and wake up Lisa and she wouldn't wake up. Now, but you were screaming in your dream, right? Well, I, I felt like I was awake. Yeah, I know. But you were screaming yeah. in your dream. Yes. So. Well, no, I was, uh, you know how like when you scream and it comes out like a whisper almost? Yeah, yeah. It's not a real scream. That's what it was like. Okay. I couldn't really scream. I was trying to but scream. But were you ever awake or were you asleep the whole time? You were probably asleep the whole time. I'm assuming I was asleep, yeah, yes. you were. Okay. But it 
feels. But either way, that would explain the person next to you not waking up because exactly. you're asleep, so you're not really screaming, exactly. let alone screaming whisperingly. Yes. Yes. So she screams. She says she's fully awake. She mm-hmm. screams. He wasn't, she shakes him. He doesn't wake up. Suddenly a bluish-white or whitish-blue beam penetrates through her window and lifts her, and then it pulls her through the wall of her apartment to outside, 12 floors above the streets of Manhattan. Yeah. Because, you know, alien technology. Yeah, yeah. can do that. Yeah. Tractor beam. Sure. But that's beyond a tractor beam. <laughs> that can move you and all your molecules through a wall. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah. It's a real tractor beam. That is, that's... Ooh. Not a fake Hollywood tractor no, beam. No, no, no. That's true. She was pulled along with those three aliens in the room with her. So I guess that's how they plan on getting back to their ship. Yeah. They go on the beam too. But a, a later witness, we'll talk about this in a, in a little while, but described them all as being in kind of a fetal position. And as they got close to the ship that was beaming them back in, they sort of uncurled, unfurled. It seems weird. Do you have to be in a fetal position when you go through walls? I don't know. Maybe you do. So they take them all in. She goes into the ship and then the door closes behind her like a clamshell. Which is good. That's clever. Mm-hmm. I like that. So she's brought into the spacecraft that apparently is just hovering there 12 floors up in lower Manhattan. It could be cloaked. Yeah, I suppose. I guess it's just outside her window. And they they do some experimentations on her. Some They do some stuff to her. Like, this is why they're abducting people so they right. know us a little better. Uh-huh. It's like us, I figure it's like us, like, you know, darting bears, you pull yep. them in and then you keep them asleep, you put eye drops in their eyes because you don't want them to dry out and then you do your stuff to them and then you put them back in the wild. It's kind of that thing. Yeah. So one of the things they did though was that they shoved a little, they had a little stick with a, a thin stick with a ball, a little ball at the end of it. They shoved that up her nose really far, like a COVID-19 test, mm-hmm. and then they pulled it out, and it no longer had the little ball <gasps> on it. They implanted something. They implanted something, something yeah. Probably, Our, probably next to her brain. Probably, yeah, yeah. It's an alien lobotomy, but she you know, she had a, a, an implant now. Yeah. She, she figured. So unusually, the alien spoke to Linda. Usually, right, in these stories, they use mental telepathy. They, just, they think things and you hear it in whole chunks of information. That's the norm. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not with Linda. They spoke to her. Well, that's good. But they didn't say very much. And what they said was a little weird. They said, <laughs> and I quote. <laughs> in English. Uh, written out. Nobby egg, hobby egg. Oh. <laughs> no cave, cave, cave egg, no cave. Fact. That's what she said they said to her. Huh. So maybe she got it garbled. I don't know. Or maybe that's a true alien language. I don't know, because it doesn't sound like an alien language. It sounds kind of like well, that's pig Latin. Her, but that's her interpretation yes, of it. Yes. So. Nobby egg, hobby egg. <laughs> no cave, cave, cave egg, no cave. <laughs> so it's, it's like Hawaiian pig Latin. It does, that's, that's Linda. <laughs> so anyway, they, they, I, I don't know that she, that what they, they thought she was going to know what they were saying. I don't know. Yeah. Use the mental telepathy, guys. We know you have it. As I mentioned earlier, Linda was not all that shook by this incident. The aliens abducted her, they did their thing, and they put her back into her room. I don't know how long, it doesn't say, but presumably a little time, a little bit of time went by, an hour, two hours, I don't know. But they put her back into her bed, 
after all the probing and prodding, and she went right back to sleep. <laughs> then the next morning, she called Bud Hopkins, and she told him her story of what happened. I'll tell you why she called Bud Hopkins in a minute. No word on that she to- whether she told her husband or not, or if she was pissed at him for not waking up to protect her from the alien abductors. Yeah. I don't know, but you'd think. Yeah. He was still asleep, I'm sure. So what made the, the case stand out was the presence of witnesses. We'll talk about them in length, right? So most people get abducted alone. The vast majority of, of abductee stories, and almost all of them really, are, yes, I was lying alone in bed, I got abducted, uh, they made me pregnant, I'm going to have a hybrid, <laughs> I have a hybrid alien child right now, his name is Kevin, Yeah, Kevin Hobbyegg, and he's, <laughs> um, he's a good kid, but his, his eyes are, and, and brain are pretty big, and he's kind of skinny, so... That, but this one had witnesses. We would later come to be multiple witnesses who saw this happen, who saw Linda oh. float 12 stories over Manhattan and go into a ship. We'll talk about that really? at length in a minute here. At least three people supposedly saw her. Two of them were security agents. Initially, they described as police officers, and they were with a quote-unquote world leader that they were protecting. They were kind of bodyguards at the time at oh. 3.15 in the morning under a bridge in lower Manhattan. So that makes sense. There was security detail outside of the safe house. The reason we know about these two agents who were witnessed the Linda Cordile abduction was because they wrote UFO researcher Bud Hopkins in February of 1991, about what is that? 15, 16 months after the event happened, these letter writers said, quote, we can't live with ourselves because they had kept silent about this event. And, but that they believed may have cost Linda her life. Oh. I'll tell you why. Because the two agents claimed that they were parked under a bridge beneath Franklin Roosevelt Drive. Apparently, this is how you protect world leaders. Not sure how that works. When they saw a reddish-orange object flashing kind of green lights in the sky above them, right? Then they saw these three, quote, strange figures and a, quote, young woman in a white gown. I think that means a nightgown. Floating from an apartment window and into a UFO. Hopkins was apparently convinced that it's the real thing, and there was two men writing this letter to him because they signed it, quote, Richard and Dan. <laughs> no contact information? No, no, no not even, not even oh, last Lord. names, let alone contact information. Did they give the di- exact date? I don't know if they gave the exact date or not. I mean, you'd think they would, so they could match it up. Yeah. Later, Cortal would kind of enhance the story. We'll go into more of her enhancements a little bit later. But she claimed that her son had been abducted about two months before she said she was abducted. And then she kind of augmented a little further in saying that the craft that she had taken, been taken in, had crashed into the East River in New York City. This is why, remember, the letter was written 50 months later. Right. This is why Richard and Dan said we were worried about her because we saw her taken into the craft and the craft then slammed into the East River. So, oh, oh my God, okay. did, did, did everybody die? What happened? Was that a crash? That was the detail that was included in the, in the letter by Richard and Dan, but it was kind of an add-on. It wasn't in her first version of the story. And again, it, the letter came a, a good 15 months after the initial event. And well, wait, how would she know if the craft crashed? Because she was in it. So oh. she she was in the craft when it when it went into the East oh, River. Oh, I assumed it was after they dropped her back off it. Home. No, no, no. Oh, it, was, okay. it picked her up, got her and her three friends, her three alien friends into yeah. the craft, closed like a clamshell, 
and then slammed into the East River. So then it became a US, USO. Now, didn't yeah. it? Okay. And the re- so the reason Richard and Dan wrote the letter to Bud Hopkins is because they had heard of him as a, his alien abduction experience, and right. they thought that maybe he, they, that Hopkins could help them find her, find out what happened to her. Because again, they thought, did she die? But they left no contact information. No, so no, 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 no. They would write him, not be the other way around. Oh, they also sent him a cassette tapes of them. Oh, so there were multiple. There were multiple communications. Oh, okay, oh, okay. oh no, that we haven't. We're not done with Richard Van <laughs> by any stretch. <laughs> okay. So Hopkins later, I guess he 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 then told he knew who it was. He knew that they could only be described in the Linda Cortile. So he contacted right. Linda, and he said, "Hey, I've you know I guess I gave him your address." And you might have a couple of police officers visiting you very soon. She said, cool. And what do you mean? He gave them her address. He gave, he, how did he give them their, yeah. their address? Because I think he also talked to them on the phone. I'm not positive though. I know he communicated through letter and through, and they sent him cassette tapes. I don't know, to be honest with you. It's, it gets really weird too, because later it turns out they claimed they had known where she was and had been tracking her for a year. Makes no sense at all because then huh. why are they contacting Bud yeah. Hopkins? It makes zero sense, really. It's weird, but anyway, somehow, mm-hmm. somehow, I'm not completely sure how, but Hopkins arranges for them to, to, to know who Linda Cortali is and, well, and where she lives. And they go and they indeed do go pay her a visit. And it's very emotional, and they're so glad sure, she's alive yeah. and that kind of stuff. So again, he, he only con- knows them by letters, by tapes that they send him. He doesn't know any last names, <laughs> he knows nothing about them. Any sense of who they were or what they, you know, if they said what they were was, was true. And later, eventually, they would tell Hopkins that if he wanted to communicate to them, he should do do so through Linda Cortile. Oh. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. So it gets, it, it's going to get weirder, as it often does in mm-hmm. this podcast. In April of 1991, so now a couple months after the first letter from Dan and Richard, it seems that Agents Dan and possibly Richard, some, or, I'm sorry, either Agents Dan and Richard or possibly just Richard. It depends on the version. Like all stories, they, they're always had yeah. di- different versions, even for something that happened not all that long ago. They are, are just Richard. Confront, I'm assuming it's just, the, the better source that I read said it was just Richard this time. Richard confronted Linda on a New York street. Just She's out walking around, and suddenly he's there. So, hi, Richard. Oh, hi. Um, Linda, if that's your real name, because he says, get in the car with me. We want to talk to you. Don't do it, Linda. Don't do it, Linda. She said, uh-uh. She's not a dummy. Yeah, she's not. So Richard picked her up bodily as she struggled there on the streets of New York. So he and kidnapped he forced her. her into his car, slammed the door, and got in and drove off. Wow. Yeah. Richard and possibly Dan, again, depending on the source, had apparently soured on Linda because remember it was very emotional. Yeah. Like, she's alive. Now though, they drove around for three and a half hours along the streets of New York interrogating her mercilessly. They wanted to know, hey, are you working for the government? Remember, they work for the government. Yeah. They're government agents. Are we're still, are you an alien? They made her remove her shoes because it turns out aliens don't have toes. Oh. Mm-mm. Now, you might think, wait, I thought aliens were those big-eyed, yeah. gray, big-headed, skinny guys, right? So if they can make themselves look human, they must be shapeshifters. And if they're shapeshifters, they apparently they have not mastered... Make toes. They've mastered fingers. <laughs> they've mastered ears. 
They've mastered eyeballs that move. They have not mastered toes. So she had toes. That was good. Oh, she couldn't be an alien. And he let her go. Or they, he or they let her go. Dan was not done yet, though. Dan, in October of 1991, so another six months later, he was now working solo on this one, and he again snatched Linda from off the streets in New York City. This time, though, instead of driving her around, he brought her to a beach house. Oh, nice. That is very nice, actually. It appears to be his beach house, so they made some good government agent quiche mm-hmm. in New York. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, didn't say where. Maybe it was on Jersey Shore. I, maybe it was, still. That's not bad. Well, I have a little place in the Hamptons. So I think well, who knows it. what the Jersey Shore was like in 1991. That's true. Mm-hmm. Was it? What are you saying? Are you saying bad things about the Jersey Shore? Well, I'm saying it might not have been, you know, not, might not have been the high rent district. Is it the high rent district? I don't know. I don't either. So, Dan, I don't know. All, all I know is they have a TV show about it, and they're horrible, horrible, awful people. Well, you don't no, really they're, know. They're that, orange, Carrie. They're orange and they take steroids. <laughs> possibly Dan was there. It's hard it's hard to say. I'm sorry. Possibly Rich was there or he's going to show up later. We'll get to it, but it seems like initially it was just Dan. Dan was doing this on his own, mm-hmm. right? Linda was a little bit weirded out when she looked at I guess they're in his living room of his beach house and she looked at the wall and she saw two framed pictures of herself. One of them was of her kissing her son? What? I don't know. Just I, don't, don't, don't be weird. It was just her, you know, her. No, I, I know. So like surveillance pictures? I don't know. And Doesn't he matter. Frames them. Yeah. A little weird. Dan asked Linda to undress and put on a nightgown, a white nightgown, very much like the one she had been kidnapped in, abducted uh-huh. by aliens back in 1989. She says, "I don't want to do that." And she finally agrees she'll put it on over her clothes, but not undress her. <laughs> she doesn't know anything about the male fantasy world. Okay, that's just not cool, Linda. Uh, don't put on the nightgown over your clothes, dumb bitch. So, uh, what? Watch it. Okay, my bad. I'm on Linda's side on okay, this one. Oh, I am too. I think she's pretty fucking smart. I think she is too. So, apparently, her putting the nightgown on over her clothes, that was enough for Dan. He was, I think he was pretty horny because he starts putting the moves on Linda and oh he tries God. to get her in the sack. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Carrie, come on. Linda says no, and she means no, but she must have got a kind of a rapey vibe because at the first chance she gets, she flees. She takes off. She must have kind of got a yeah, rapey vibe. <laughs> put on the snake out. <laughs> put it on. Put it on. So she leaves. She uh, runs onto the beach, right? And Dan runs after her. Uh-huh. He catches her, I guess, at the water line, at the water's edge there. And, <laughs> sorry, he takes two fingers and he pokes him into the back of her neck, pretending that it's a gun and telling oh. her that it's a gun. You know, that trick that some toddlers might fall for and yeah. tells her it's a gun, so she better stop fighting him. He then forces her head into the water and he dunks her once and then twice. And then a third time, and Linda says, oh, this time I thought I was going to drown. And he's raving incoherently the whole time. So it's quite the adventure. Luckily, a quote-unquote force then hits Dan and knocks him back onto the sand. And so she's free. She gets up. She runs along the beach. And she hears a sound behind her that to her, like some kind of clicking sound, I guess, because she interprets it originally as a cocking of a gun. So he thinks, oh, my God, he's going to shoot me. So she wisely turns around 
Because, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you slow down and turn around because when someone's got a gun. And she sees that Dan is in pursuit of her and he's snapping pictures of her. Because, you know, Dan's a pro. Okay. Wow. So he's a photojournalist. I don't know. Linda kept running. Good for Linda. When suddenly Richard, Dan's partner, appears out of nowhere at her side. I guess keeping pace, running. Suddenly he's just there. She turns, she, I guess she turns around, see him taking pictures. She turns back around. Whoa, there's Richard. Where did he come from? And he's running with her. Richard tries to get her to calm down. And he says, just calm down. Come back to the beach house with me. Sure. Don't worry about Dan. I will drug him and put him to sleep. I'll give him a drug and a drink. So it seems like chivalry was not dead, just really slow and And she believes him? She absolutely does. She goes back to the beach house with Richard and Dan. Richard then takes Dan and dumps him in the shower to clean off all the mud and stuff like that. Mud? Well, he was at the water, remember? The muddy sand, whatever, the the wet sand from his clothes. I mean, he's been in the sand. He's been rolling around. He's he's, he's got the finger gun. And so, the camera that must have also, been in his pocket. I just realized now, why does she think he's clicking a gun when he has to use a finger gun? <laughs> if he had a gun, Linda, well, when did you heard she the know that sound, at the time? Yeah, but he, he knew she didn't have a gun because no. at some point she's got to realize he's got fingers. Do you really think a fingers is going to mimic a gun? No, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, this is this is her story. Yeah, I don't know. When you're scared, okay, she's scared. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So. They Richard puts Dan in the shower and turns on the water like he's a drunk. And she decides, you know what, I'm going to case this joint a little bit and look around. And she finds a couple of things. She finds, one of the things she finds is some correspondence on CIA letterhead. Of course. They're CIA because agents. Because that's how they do it. Damn right they do. And you know how you know they're CIA agents? Because they have CIA letterhead sure. in, their, yeah. in their beach house. Uh-huh. So clearly we know. So they were apparently, so they were government agents and they... Again, they, 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 I, I mentioned initially the story was that they're police officers, but that quickly and, and other and communications from them soon after, they described themselves as government agents or something like that. So now we, we find out they're CIA agents here in October of 1991. So they released Linda. And what did she do? She ran right to Bud Hopkins' home and she told him all about her latest adventure. He naturally believes her because Bud Hopkins, well, because Bud Hopkins was Bud Hopkins and he believes everything. Mm-hmm. Also, he's, he's as bad as John Mack in this regard. Also, she had sand in her hair and she looked kind of disheveled. <laughs> so, checks out. She was pretty shaken up too. You know, more shaken up than when she was abducted by aliens yeah. and put back in her bed. Also, Richard would mail Hopkins the pictures that Dan took while he was pursuing Linda on the beach. Okay. So someone took pictures of because so why would he take pictures of her? Why? Because because you know you're chasing after someone you tried to rape. But in this is 1991, so he had a camera a, in his pocket. Uh, he has a camera. Absolutely. This. Uh, what it, what size were cameras in 1991? Uh, they're, they're pretty small cameras. Did you can they? put it, like say you had a coat on or something like that. You could put it in a coat pocket. Sure. <sighs> what Linda didn't explain though is how Dan had thought to grab a camera as he was pursuing her, but didn't think to grab a camera when he saw that UFO up in the sky back in 1989. Well, he but wasn't he was ready in then. the car. Mm. What's so, worse, more likely to have a camera in the car or in your pocket as you pursue a rape why? victim in? On why the beach? would he have a camera when he was on the job in the car? 
Well, originally, remember they were um, they were supposedly doing a, a, some kind of a police stakeout of some sort. You didn't say so, stakeout. Uh, you I said know. they were protecting. That came, yeah, you're uh, right. You're right. Well, you might have. To, I, I think. I, I think. don't know. I don't well. know why they'd have a camera. Okay. Okay. It all checks out then. I mean, when he abducted her and brought her to his beach house, and yeah, he wanted he's gonna take to take some pigs. I see what you mean. Yeah, he's going to some penthouse farm action. So that could be there, why yeah. he already had the yeah. camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Okay. Month later, November 1991, Richard wrote Bud Hopkins that you know what he just had a memory. This is Richard now. Mm-hmm. Richard's the I Good guess one. a little bit yeah a little more yeah. chivalrous one, yeah. the not so rapey one. He, however, said that. He remembered having had dreams of a girl during his childhood. The girl's name was Baby Ann, which is a fantastic name, by the way. Hopkins told this to Linda. This jogged a memory in her mind as well. She remembered that she had an imaginary friend named Mickey. They're about the same age. She goes, oh, my God, Mickey must have been Richard. What? That's but she figures. And she was Baby Ann? She must have been. I, I think Why? that makes her Baby Ann. Why? Well, how else could you explain this? <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. So, I think Richard and Dan are my imaginary friends, Bread and Butter. Oh, <laughs> uh, you had imaginary friends named Bread and Butter. Yeah. Were they human? Yes. Question then. Why were the names Bread and Butter if they were human? I It seems don't like know. they'd be like teddy bears or something like that. Not humans. No, they were human. Okay. And they invited me over to their house. Well, that's starting to get a little gross. They were pedophiles, Carrie. How old were you? How old, Carrie? How old? They were children. Oh, like they were me. children too. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a little better. What what kids have adult imaginary friends? No, I thought they were adults. You were a kid, and you're. I know. But oh, I see. Adult. I, I don't know. I think a lot. Wasn't there a movie about no. that? Well, that's a movie. Oh, okay. In real life. Are all imaginary, imaginary friends? Imaginary friends are kids. Yeah, I guess if your imaginary friend is a grown ass man, that's a that's a yeah. bad thing. Yeah, it's a warning. It's a red flag. So I'm not sure how to explain the whole Mickey, Baby Ann thing. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But she also remember. Oh, because the rest. Of she also remembered that that under the guidance of apparently some friendly, sexy, voyeuristic aliens, Mickey slash Richard had eventually had sex with Linda. I, I'm assuming this was years later. I'm assuming this this Let's went hope. on okay. for some time. And so that meant, yes, Richard was the real father of Linda's <gasps> eldest son, Johnny. Thankfully, Linda's husband, Steve, it was said that he never actually read the book that Bud Hopkins wrote about the Linda Cortile case. Yeah. The whole sordid story, so he did not find out that his eldest son was not his son and was really some kind of a bizarre, once-removed alien love child. No, Richard's not an alien. Yeah, but, you know, aliens kind of made it happen. Oh. You know, they kind of pimped her, right? Under their guidance, they they bonded and grew together and eventually started having sex. That's what she said. Oh, okay. So it's a little weird. It's a little alien-esque. You know, it's alien-adjacent. They're not. A, you're right. Johnny's not a hybrid, but... Is, his parentage is, is a little strange. So also, by the way, by not reading that book, he didn't find out that his wife was completely insane. But So there's a, there's a good call on Steve's part. I'll bet he had an idea. Mm, maybe. There was also another witness, right? The third man. Remember we were talking about the world leader? He must have seen it too if he was in the car with Richard and Dan back then in 1989. The he was in the brownstone. They were just outside. No, he was in the car. Oh, he was? <laughs> yes, he okay. was. Okay. So he was also an eyewitness. In fact, that doesn't later, make any sense. You, uh, 
Carrie, don't question it. <laughs> hey, Dora. So this person, this world leader, Bud Hopkins surmised eventually that he was none other than Javier Perez de Cuellar, who was at the time the Secretary General of the United Nations. He was from Ecuador. Okay. So this, and he said this, Hopkins claimed, okay, Perez de Cuellar <laughs> witnessed this famous abduction case that I'm writing a book about. This made the case even more notorious, of course. Now you've, you've thrown in a pretty well-known, at the time, a pretty yeah. well-known person. He's the head of the UN. Hopkins found this out from when Dan wrote still another letter and uh, eventually he admitted they weren't police officers, that in, indeed they were government agents, and that um, they were uh, driving to Cuellar. I guess they weren't parked, they were dr- driving in the oh, area to Cuellar okay. at about 3.15 in the morning through that part of Manhattan, that's why. Maybe it was... 3.15 in, in the morning. On the way to the airport, I, not I, really fly. Maybe, maybe so. Here's the thing, though. They also said that supposedly, in fact, the Cuellar was not uh-uh, just a witness. He was a fellow abductee. Oh. Perez de Cuellar also was abducted that night, not just Linda. And according to the letter, Perez de Cuellar urged people to just kind of let it go because the UN was working with these abduction-happy aliens to Uh end the Cold War, which apparently worked. Yeah. Because not that long after, the Cold War indeed was over. So that's good for them. Good on them. De Cuellar officially denied the entire event. And his office that handled the schedule said, no, he was at home at 3.15 in the morning on November 30th, 1989, in bed. Well, of course they'd say that. Yeah, I know. So you're right. If he was abducted by aliens, you probably don't want to say so. We'll, we'll come Correct. to it. When I, when I talk about issues with this, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about why there's other reasons to, to believe that probably didn't happen to <laughs> Perez de Cuellar. Okay. Um, <laughs> But luckily, Bud Hopkins had other witnesses. He started getting communications from more witnesses. So, you know, here's the story. We got a couple witnesses. Uh-huh. Do we need more? Yeah, we should always suddenly of course, yeah. letters. Different letters come from different people saying they had seen it too. The first of these was from a, a woman named Janet Kimball. Janet was a 60-year-old retired telephone operator from upstate New York. She claimed she had been driving across the Brooklyn Bridge at the time when suddenly all cars came to a dead stop. In fact, sometimes this is considered, this is called the Brooklyn Bridge case. Oh. And this is why. This is actually a pretty dramatic event. So Janet and we said, know that's what happened. And, and again, we don't know this until the story has, it's two years after the story happened. And it's even now many months after there's, there's been these various communications from Richard to Dan and Bud Hopkins has been telling the story with Linda. We'll talk about that in a minute at uh, UFO cases. So now, this must have jogged the memory of Janet. Yeah. Who said that, okay, so they're on the Brooklyn Bridge. It's at 3.15 in the morning, so apparently there's a lot of, well, it's New York. So it's, there's lots of cars on the bridge. Yep. And all the cars come to this dead stop. She said that from that point, you can see Janet's apartment complex in her apartment building, her high rise. And that she indeed saw Linda, who she needed, you know, a woman in a nightgown, right. in a white nightgown, and three aliens being floated from the 12th floor apartment unit into a spaceship. She saw the whole thing. Mm -hmm. She said at the time, she thought that some movie studio was filming a movie, a science fiction movie, and that's that's what she was witnessing. that's how they do it. Yes, because they do. They absolutely do. They really float on wires, apparently. Uh They float people out of their uh, apartment, through walls. 
well, out of their apartment. That's what she thought. She was a little ways away. She couldn't see all the detail. Yeah, she couldn't, probably. could she? So, but she yeah. knew there were three aliens. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So Janet looked around her to see what other people were doing and what her you know, fellow commuters were doing. And they were, quote, running all around their cars with their he- hands on their heads, screaming from horror and disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> for, for Janet never returned to New York City again. She was spooked. Huh. You might be wondering why none of these terrified, yeah. screaming people, bridge witnesses, ever came forward. Where are all the 911 uh, recordings? I wonder, too. They didn't have cell phones. This is 1981. I'm talking oh, 1989. So there were no true. cell phones. So that Darn checks. It. But you know what you do after the, the spaceship goes away into the East River and you continue driving? Then you call someone. True. Or, yes. or more than one person two years later tells the story. Right. Most likely. Yeah. Maybe they had the red thing, the, the men in black thing oh, for the whole bridge and Janet somehow true. wasn't affected. Maybe their know. memories were wiped. Let's assume. So Hopkins spoke with Janet Kimball, allegedly, about Linda's experience. And at some, apparently Linda had got, kind of got cold feet because she event, quickly did, didn't want anything to do with the story anymore. And quote, I wouldn't pursue this any further, bud, she said to him. I just want to drop it now. So luckily for Bud, yes, there's another witness lurking in the, in the weeds. Of course there is. In the weeds? Yes. <laughs> Why not? They're out there. They're always out there. You need another witness? I think in this case, when he needed another witness, yeah. he tended to get another witness. No, I'm saying they'd be waiting in the wings or something. I like lurking, lurking in, in the, the weeds. weeds. <laughs> I prefer. I just, I just thought that was, I like that better. Her name is Marilyn Kilmer. These are both Janet and Marilyn. They're, they're pseudonyms that Bud gave them when he wrote his book. He oh, gave them fake okay. names. So uh, Marilyn said that she was abducted by aliens along with Linda. So she was more than a witness. She was, a, again, another fellow abductee. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't only Javier Perez de Cuellar, but it was her as well. And she did see him, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she saw de Cuellar as well. Oh, he was abducted at the same moment. Yes, he was abducted oh. as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought... According, that that kind of got grafted on, and then uh, Marilyn agrees with that. Sure, okay. She knew, by the way, that it was Perez de Cuellar, because she was shown a picture of him and said, yep, yep, that's the guy. Yeah. So that he was abducted along with me and and, uh, Linda. Marilyn also eventually clammed up and would deny the whole story, saying, quote, Bud and Linda know the truth. Did they get to her? Or did she just not want to go along with it anymore? And finally, there was Francesca. Oh, Francesca was someone who lived nearby. I don't. I didn't get the sense if she lived in the same apartment complex as Linda or just nearby. But she lived nearby, and she remembered a couple of years later, at least, she remembered having seen a strange light in the sky around that time. She couldn't be positive it was November thirtieth at three fifteen, but she remembered it was right around then, yeah. and it was in the same area. And she also thought that she, Francesca, you know what? I might have been abducted as well. I'm not 100%, but I could have been. So she started talking about her being abducted. I guess she's talking about Hopkins. I, I guess her eight-year-old son was within earshot because then her eight-year-old son started telling her, Mommy, I think I was abducted by aliens. Francesca oh. stopped claiming she was abducted by aliens at that point and denied it from then on. To her credit, there are consequences people 
for these <laughs> delusions. He's getting serious here. Well, I mean, th- th- well, there but are. How th- does th- she know her son wasn't abducted? Okay, all right. Or was Francesca admitting she was lying at that moment? I, at, at this point, she took it back. Oh, okay. And said it's not true. Now, someone could say, well, she did it to protect her child. Who yeah. had this terrible memory. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I do know, but, <laughs> but <laughs> that you could say that, I suppose. She's a good mom. She's, I, I think so. Yeah. Well, you know, not a great mom? Because <laughs> you don't say it in the first... Honey, get mama her cigarettes. I'm talking to the man on the phone. So anyway, the aliens... I'm giving her a smoker's voice. I don't know uh-huh. why. So And apparently she's Harvey Firestein. She's Harvey Firestein. <laughs> she was. It could have been... Oh my God, was it Harvey Firestein <laughs> pretending to be uh, this Francesca? You know, that would that could be a drag queen name. Yeah, Francesca Jean-Jean Chamberman. I don't know what that was. <laughs> That would be, I, there, you know, Francesca is, is the good beginnings of a drag queen, uh-huh. name, you have to admit. Hopkins then took this, the, remember, this is going on for months and months and months, and he starts going out to UFO symposiums with Linda Cortal, and they start making the whole kind of circuit of that, telling the story, and they did so for, for years. And again, it, was, it wasn't until 1996, I think, that he published, or uh, 94 or 6, I can't remember, that he published his book about it. It's called Witnessed. Are people speaking at these conferences making money? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I think they are indeed. And Bud Hopkins was maybe the biggest celebrity you could get at these conferences. He'd written two bestsellers about abduction theory. Yeah. He was very well known. He's very personable. He's, he's charismatic. So he was a big deal. And now, now he started bringing back, Linda, Linda was now his, his kind of, he was writing a book about her yeah. thing. And he starts bringing her to these things and they speak together at these events. One of the events in 1984 was a conclave in Texas put on by the local chapter of MUFON, that's the Mutual UFO Network, which historically was something that really did attempt to investigate as scientifically as possible UFO sightings, but has kind of evolved over time, and certainly by this time, to pretty much a believers-only kind of an outfit. In fact, two of the, three of the people with MUFON who investigated this and came to think that Linda Cortot was completely full of shit were kind of almost threatened by this, the leader of MUFON and some, and the other big wigs within MUFON to shut up and to be quiet and not, not to publish. So wow. this is about the period where they're kind of becoming more of an enthusiast or, and they are now completely right. pretty much. They're not, you know, they're not a truly independent. Oh no, we'll look at it both ways. Kind of a, a, a group anymore at all. I don't think, but the guy the name was Albert Walter Andrus was, he was in Texas. He was in Seguin, Texas. I don't know Never heard how of you it. pronounce it. And he was a big, big in, in MUFON. And he had, was putting on this big event there that they had Linda and Bud speaking at. And he uh, said that he knew. He heard Linda's story. He said, I know what they're up to. They're all about babies. They're about <laughs> hybrid alien human babies. Sure. He said that the aliens, you know, your grays, me, your grays, the big eyes, the swollen head, the small stature, the skinny limbs. He said, quote, they've been using humans for, to further their species. These little guys are small and fragile. <laughs> <laughs> they cannot reproduce like humans do. They deteriorate. They are using their sperm to create hybrid children. So they, could, they deteriorate, unquote. But they also apparently masturbate because... I mean, that, that, which makes sense for a species that has survived, I don't know, thousands or millions of years and has mastered the te- technology of intergalactic travel yeah. through boundless space, but they have not mastered how to procreate except by using unwilling human women. So, huh. Well, they did master it. So to speak. By, yeah. But they couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to, how to make their own kids with a gray and a gray? 
It must not been possible, mm. Dean. Yes, maybe so, but he seems to say it's because they're skinny and fragile. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He doesn't really know I the know. biology of it. I don't know. He's, he was a big wig of MUFON. I, uh, I think you have to trust that source. Nah. So Hopkins, let's talk about Hopkins a little bit because I, I, I call this sex in truth through fakery. Hopkins had become such a big deal because he had held these free monthly self-help group therapy sessions for survivors of alien abductions for years and years and years. He was doing that through the 80s. He's an artist. He's an artist. So okay. he has zero training in psychology or okay. any kind of therapeutic techniques whatsoever. And remember, all of his subjects or his attendees already thought or wanted to think or wanted people to think that they were abducted right. by aliens. So, And most of the abductees told these pretty awful experiences. They, they were not good experiences for the most part. There's experimentation. There was invasive procedures. You know, they're scooping stuff course, out. They're putting yeah. stuff in. Some tons of people said they're impregnated. There is a, we've talked about this at a, at a uh, while ago, an episode, yeah. I don't know, a year or so. I can't remember which one, to be honest. Oh, I can't think of it. But we talked about- It's about are, sexy aliens. Yes, the, the alien sex one. <laughs> that, there are thousands of women across the world saying they've had alien babies. So yeah. It's a super common thing. And maybe they all have. And you know what? Yeah, Good for them, know. single mothers. Who are we? We don't know. We are, who are we? Who the hell are we? <laughs> so almost anything you might imagine they have said has been done to them by aliens. Worse yet, though, Hopkins said that almost all these memories from these abductees were, were clouded. They weren't fully formed yeah, when they came to him. That makes sense. And, uh, why? They were very conveniently masked just enough that they're malleable and they're in their early form, but they're never clouded enough where they don't remember at all. Yeah. Seems a little convenient, that, that Goldilocks point, that they always seem to come to Bud Hopkins and others like him, too. <laughs> yes. That's, I mean, how, again, they've mastered intergalactic travel, but they can't quite get the little red beam right and make them forget forever. Come on. Dean. So, but they eventually were able to remember with the help of Bud Hopkins. Yeah. So his favorite method was, of course... Hypnotic regression. Sure, yeah. as is Done by Mr. Dr. Mack. By, well, no, done by him. Bud Hopkins did oh. tons of, okay, he's an artist. He knows how to hypnotize someone and regress oh. them, absolutely. So he would use regression to cull these memories from the subconscious. He said the memories had to be helped because, again, when they first came to him, they only remembered, quote, vague anxieties, specific phobias, bad dreams, fragmentary and disturbing memories are what seemed like an explicable episode of missing time. End quote. Yeah. Hopkins helped shape those vague anxieties into very specific alien abduction stories. Sure. Into the full alien abduction experience, which invariably were very, very similar each and every time. So Hopkins, at this period, he was going on, again, daytime talk shows. He was on your Oprah. He was on your Sally Jesse Raphael. Are there clips on YouTube? I don't know. Huh. I, I bet there are. And again, this is also when Whitley Strieber, the author of Communion, was doing the same thing. Yeah. That, if you don't know, that was a novel about Whitley Strieber's personal alien abduction, which I am. He was a pretty mediocre, semi successful. He's a published science fiction writer yeah. of, you know, conventional science fiction stories. What happened is here's my conspiracy theory is that he was making good money. He was getting published. He was selling a decent amount of books. But he realized that if you say something that's not true is true, 
you, and, and this is exactly what happened. His novels sold whatever they did well. He wrote Communion, said it was all true, and it became one of the, a publishing phenomenon. It yeah. sold millions and millions of copies. It made him a very, very rich man. It was a mega best, bestseller. So those two guys throughout the 80s were going on and or into the 90s were going on telling all talking about alien abduction for years and years and all these shows. Did you read it? Communion? I think I did a long, 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 long time ago. Like back then. It was written, yeah. it was published in 87. Like I think sometime around then. I, I don't remember a ton yeah. about it. I did not, but I remember it. And and here's the thing though. They, so they went on all these talk shows and things like that and, and events and, and they... They be, they got more and more abductees than came to them. It's kind sure. of an abduction memory mill yeah. of a sort. So they they it was a, I don't know it was quite the little cottage industry. So it also turns out though that Linda herself had been for years before this before nineteen eighty nine a rabid UFO enthusiast. Well, for years and years and years. Shocker. Shocker. I, I know you're surprised by that. <laughs> she had read both of Bud Hopkins' books, published in 1981 and 1987, and lots of other material about alien abductions. I mean, she was more she was an alien abduction enthusiast in yeah. a sense. And she, she also believed in, in UFO visitations. She'd even attended several of Hopkins' abductees' group therapy sessions. So she had been going in to Hopkins' se- sessions for months before this her event happened. Abduction? Oh, before, wow. before her own abduction, yeah. And it was during these sessions before her abduction that she, quote, unquote, remembered how 13 years earlier she had found a bump by her nose. And she figured that was an implant. So she figured the grays had been tracking for a long time. It's either a skin tag or an implant. She was special. <laughs> so that's why she went to Bud Hopkins when this thing happened. And right. she told him her story. And he thought it was really important because of the witnesses. That's why he called his book Witnessed, because it was so rare to have these alleged outside witnesses to these abduction events like he did with Richard and Dan and, and then unwilling Javier Perez de Cuellar uh-huh. and Marilyn and Janet as yeah. well. So he wrote his book. It's called Witnessed. It's published in 1996. This is his third book. Again, he had 1981 uh, the original book in 1980, uh, about abductions in 1987, he wrote a book called Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods, which was also about an abduction. So that's just like his thing. He was, he was the, yeah. the king of this stuff. He would say that, quote, the importance of this case, the Linda Cortau case, is virtually immeasurable as it powerfully supports both the objective reality of UFO abductions and the accuracy of regressive hypnosis as employed with this abductee. So this was like his cornerstone case, cornerstone case for his method and for these events he was describing. Because we all know regressive hypnosis is now is one of the most important methods in all of psychiatry. And it's like, oh, wait, that's right. It's complete bullshit and utterly rejected by any sensible and rational um, practitioner. Sorry, bud. Anyway, there are some issues. We'll go over them quickly. Dan and Richard were never identified. We don't even know their last names, let alone who they were, their affiliation, anything like that. They never came forward. They were never identified. It's basically Bud Hopkins saying, I got letters and occasional tapes from these two guys. Yeah. Cortal herself, as you've noticed, her tale was augmented many times. It grew and it evolved and changed over time, that's that's always a red flag for these yeah. kinds of stories. No one else saw a UFO crash into the East River. I know it was 315, but it's Manhattan. It's the city that never sleeps. So no one sees an... Wait, air, Joyce uh, and Marilyn didn't see it? Or no Janet, one else did except... Uh, who was it? Well, allegedly Richard and Dan. Yeah. Okay. And alle- Again, all these people 
are unnamed, unidentified, anonymous people with fake names who are communicating with Bud Hopkins. Yeah. And possibly Linda. You see the problem there, but no one else saw, no one else not in that tiny circle saw a UFO crash into the East River. I see lots of problems here. Yeah, do you? Okay. Uh, it seems like that'd be a big noticeable thing, but not a single soul noticed it. So no one saw the spaceship hovering on the drill floor other than Janet Kimball. No one else on the bridge saw that, allegedly. No one else on the bridge, as we talked about a minute ago, came forward. You think you know, someone would notice a woman and three aliens being beamed into mm-hmm. a spaceship in New York. The the safe house thing is just clearly, that's so implausible and so it's such a romantic trope that uh, that's a problem others point out that linda never reported two kidnappings attempted murder and attempted sexual assault by a federal government agent never came forward never reported these horrific crimes at all so you know but hopkins would say later that well Obviously, we knew the authorities were in cahoots with Dan and Richard, so there's no point in telling anybody. And and also, they thought this would make what they did to be legal. So it's legal. Because you work for the government, you could rape, kill, kidnap. Sure. Well, that's her story. This is called the Nixon Doctrine, or also called Trump Logic, <laughs> I believe. So, and skeptics looked into the case, and they found that... Um, they, they, they once questioned a couple of those MUFON researchers I, I told you. They really weren't skeptics. They were, they were MUFON researchers. And they actually questioned Linda and, and Hopkins. And she allegedly asked, according to them, said, hey, if, if, if Dan or Richard try to kidnap me again, can I shoot them legally? <laughs> and when they told Hopkins about, and he had a couple other UFO, uh, it was the guy, Walter Anders, the, the MUFON guy, and a couple yeah. other people like that. They told him, you know what? We're going to publicly request a government investigation because we have two government agents trying to murder a, a civilian American. That's not okay. They basically the, those the UFO Hopkins the others shit their pants. Yeah. Those those investigators said that they quote appear to literally panic, and then they said no 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 we want nothing to do with that because. Yeah. Theoretically, they surmised that it was because you know you can get in trouble for mis- false reporting yeah. a crime by a government agent. So those investigators they went to Linda's apartment complex and they found that there was a guardhouse there that was twenty four hours staffed at all times. No one there, and this is not that long. They they went they did this investigation in late I think late ninety one early ninety two. So it wasn't that long after the event from late nineteen eighty nine. There were no reports by any of the, the staff there of any lights in the sky. They, they went to the apartment manager, and he said, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. None of the 1,600 residents in this complex said anything about the lights in the sky or anything like that being seen back in November of 1989 or ever. The apartment complex is right, literally, where, where she would have been hovering in the air was right across the street from the loading docks of the New York Post. Oh. If you don't think about publishing at 315, it's a busy area. Yeah. No one there saw any any event happening just 12 uh, stories above them. When, when those investigators asked Bud Hopkins if he had done any of this kind of just pretty basic legwork, he said no, and that he thought it was, quote, unnecessary. Yeah. So that tells you a little bit about his methodology or lack thereof. And also, I mentioned earlier, there was also that point about, in later letters, Richard and Dan said they had actually known who Linda was for a full year and were tracking her, right. which 
the original story said that they came forward be, because they wanted Bud to help find her. That, yeah. It, it, it was, and make sure she was okay. They screwed up. Yeah. Is what basically would happen there. They, oh shit, we forgot our story kind of a thing. So they, and why go to this UFO enthusiast? They're government agents. They yeah. can use their own means, you would think, to find out who this person was. We go back to the Perez de Cuellar thing. American agents would not be protecting the UN Secretary General. The UN has its own security. You're, the, you're really debunking all of this? Well, this is, this is what people have said. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. No, it's not me. This is other, the researchers have, have pointed these, these facts yeah. out about this yeah. story. So, and also, moving the UN, the Secretary General around is a big deal. It's not two dudes in a car yeah. in a Malibu uh, driving through the streets of lower Manhattan. It's a whole big deal. The security knows about it. The UN headquarters knows about where he is every minute of every day. Yeah. If that car was caught in unexpected, you know, Traffic jam or something like that, they know about that. Yeah. And they have eyes on it, or at least they, they, they're aware of what's happening. And there's reports coming back to you in headquarters. So he's abducted and is gone for some amount of time, but no one ever knows about it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's impossible. And so Dan, by the way, during his story, said that he was so traumatized by what happened that he was institutionalized oh. for a short time and went into a mental institution to recover. And while in that, he wrote one of those letters on a typewriter. While he was in the institution, yeah, they compared that to the other letters. It was the same typewriter. So apparently that mental institution is pretty lax with what you bring in. Apparently they allow you to bring in typewriters. Some people think that's a little unlikely. And just the whole thing, really generally speaking, is that Bud Hopkins, like a lot of those people, he works alone. He interviews these people alone. He has associates. But when, when the, the key stuff is happening, he's alone. He's one-on-one with the supposed witness or the abductee or whatever. So at the end of the day, you really have to believe that these people exist. They said what he said they said, that all the things that they say happened really happened outside of their imagination. Are all the names that we do know pseudonyms? Yes. Okay. Turns out even Linda Cortell is a pseudonym. That's what I was going to say. So we can't look up Linda Cortell? No, we can. We can. We know who she is. Oh. So so Linda Cortell was not really Linda Cortell. She was actually Linda Napolitano. Oh. Her husband was from Italy, Steve, and he moved to the United States when he was 17. But Hopkins gave her the Cortell pseudonym to write his book like he did the others. Yeah. So after, but after a couple of years on the, on the UFO, you know, speaker circuit, some people thought, let's find out who she is. And they did pretty quickly and pretty easily find out that she's Linda Napolitano, mother yeah. of two, blah, 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 et cetera. She had been, they found out, a singer and a model before marrying and having kids under the name Lynn. So, I don't know. Some people have said that she liked the limelight. She liked to be the center of attention. Well. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. Seven years after the whole affair, Linda once again showed up at Bud Hopkins' door looking, you know, a little out of sorts. It had happened again. Oh, no. She had almost been kidnapped a third time time this time while she was with her cousin Connie so thankfully she had a witness right? right so she tells Bud Hopkins about this but apparently he had maybe tired of the game a little bit and which is kind of unusual for him because he just believes everything right. and he asked to speak to Connie directly to verify the story Linda then promptly left his house a little while later Connie called Bud Hopkins to corroborate Linda's story he takes the call. He's with his wife. He hangs up the phone. And he says, quote, 
That was Linda pretending to be her cousin Connie. <laughs> so he, he was out. Hi, this is Linda. And this is Connie. Sorry. Everything Linda said is true. Bye. So he even even at this point, even Bud Hopkins is going, okay. Yeah. So for Mac, let's let's wrap up with John Mac. He felt that his and Bud Hopkins' research into this was quote, amply corroborated and it Oh. validated alien abductions. He was a true believer. Wow. He believed that the quote, the abduction phenomenon is in some central way involved in a breeding program that results in the creation of alien human hybrid offspring. <laughs> okay. So he w- he's a believer in the alien human hybrid ph- phenomenon. Okay. And so he also thought that it was like a warning from aliens. This has become a trope now, a Captain Planet kind of trope, but it's a warning right. that we humans are screwing up our, our, our planet. That's right. Because the reason he thought this is because a lot of the abductees, most of them came out with a, quote, commitment to changing their relationship to the Earth. Oh. <laughs> so he became involved in some really high-profile UFO cases, but one eventually came, this is John Mack, came back to bite him in the ass. A Boston, a Boston writer came to him and said that she was abducted and she was taken into a spaceship with Nikita Khrushchev and John F. Kennedy, and it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I don't know if she's saying it is back in 1962, or they time-traveled. I'm not clear on that. Yeah. But the woman taped their session, and apparently it didn't look good for John. And also, it was an ambush. She was a not-believer. She sold or gave her tape of that session with John Mack to Time Magazine. Oh. They then published a piece on him, pretty much ridiculing him, calling it, quote, the man from outer space. Oh. So he was embarrassed by that. He had another one, too, that was equally weird. He, his answer to that, though, was to bring five abductees that he had interviewed and hypnotically regressed in the past onto the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey show. show. Yes, of them. Some of them, by the way, had had alien human babies, by the way. So case closed. Oh. I think he proved his point. There was almost nothing about the alien abduction phenomenon he did not believe. Even Bud Hopkins would say later that Mac was, quote, gullible. Now, this is from the guy <laughs> who didn't check anything Linda Cordell yeah. said because he thought it was unnecessary. So right. that guy thinks they're gullible. That's not good. He eventually got into, Mac eventually got into things like psychic healing, you know, the whole consciousness oh, wow. thing, remote viewing, communicating with the dead, everything. Yeah. But then in 2011, he was in London. He got off the... the um, the tube there at about 11 o'clock in the suburb of London. And in America, you know, before you pop onto the street, you look left, then right. He looked left, and from the right side, a Peugeot slammed into him with driven by a drunken driver and killed him. Oh, darn it. So you wonder how bad the alien abduction hybrid thing is, right? There was a Roper poll done about during this time that was actually commissioned by it was commissioned by Robert Bigelow. He was the this is in the, I can't remember what it was. It was in two thousands. He's the guy who owned Skinwalker Ranch, which we eventually do an episode on. He's a millionaire. Yeah. He commissioned this. It, so it wasn't. It was well into the two thousands. I can't remember which year. But they uh, asked six thousand respondents. They didn't want to ask. They wanted to get at how many people have been abducted by aliens, right? Yeah. So they didn't want to say hey, have you ever been abducted by an alien? They thought that would be, people would deny it, just they're embarrassed by it, right? right? Sure. So what they did is they asked a bunch of questions, five of which they thought would test this idea that you are abducted by aliens. These were things like, have you ever been woken up paralyzed with the sense of a strange presence or person in the room? Which, as we know, is is a, a thing, is a hypnobotic, hypnopompic dream. Yeah, I'd have to say yes to that. So as would I. If they would asked if they ever missed time, uh, 14 shots of tequila would do that. They mm-hmm. had 
asked if they ever had a feeling or sensation of flying. Everyone who's ever dreamed has had that. And they are also asked if they'd seen balls of light in the room. And they're finally asked if they had any puzzling scars. But to those were the five kind of, if, if you answered yes to those, you, you yeah. may have been an alien abductee. So but they also asked kind of a trick question. It was if, quote, trondent held any secret meaning for them. And if people who said yes to that were tossed because, okay, those people are just weird. Right. So <laughs> the 2% of the respondents, about 119 people, said that they had had at least four of those five experiences. So Roper translated this, extrapolated this to say that 3.7 million adult Americans have been abducted wow. by aliens. So if I have three of those, I'm, I'm not, not an abductee. Okay. No, but if you have four... Boom, you're wow. an abductee. I only have three. Yeah, I think I do too. So, whew. All right, because yeah. I, I do not wish to be probed. I have <sighs> dreamt that I could fly. I, every human being has dreamt that they're flying. And have, I have just now remembered it. I think they can remember. I think they're asking, though, that have you had the sensation of flying? But well, I had the sensation, have the sensation in my dream, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Hopkins... He actually paired that back to 560,000. He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Even I think Roper's full of shit at 3.7 million. But he said 560,000 people have been uh, abducted by aliens, to a lot sure. of them having kids. So my request to Ancestry.com is you better figure out how to handle this yeah. in the DNA test because there's a lot of Adrian Hyde. But the, anytime you see somebody with big head and, and big eyes, happy. <laughs> so I'll end with this. Some the obvious thing is that it was all just a figment of Linda Cortal's imagination, or more likely a story she told mm. to make money, to be famous. At one point, she thought she was getting half of the book money. Oh, but Hopkins Whoopsies. had to disabuse her of this whole half <laughs> thing. But she did apparently share in the profits. Yeah, well, not, not half. And yeah. of course, she went on the circuit. And of course, again, she it's said she loved the attention. Did she stay married? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's good for Steve. Steve's a, Steve's a solid guy. He's just a heavy sleeper. So yeah. leave him alone. So the, those researchers I mentioned from MUFON who looked into her and, and found a lot of holes in her story, they, they found a big one, though. She, they found that there was a science fiction novel called Night Eyes that was published. It hit bookstores in April of 1989. It's about seven months after Linda's event, right? It was written by a guy named Garfield Reeves Stevens, <laughs> You mean before the event? Before the event, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it told the story of two women, Sarah and Wendy, who were abducted by aliens. The similarities of what fictionally happened to Sarah and Wendy and what supposedly factually happened to Linda Cortell or Nay Napolitano are, are pretty striking. Yeah. So they both had the UFO hovering by a high-rise in New York City in, in Manhattan. They both had two government agents. In this case, though, they were they were on a stakeout parked below, and they saw it from there. Yeah. Which, by the way, was much closer to the original version of that story, right? Yeah. They both had kidnappings. They, in fact, they, the, the book has a kidnapping by grabbing her off the streets of New York and dumping her into his car, and grilling her as they yeah. drive around New York. They had Dan, the, the, the agent Dan, hospitalized for emotional trauma. They wow. had Linda taken to a safe house on the beach. They had the romantic entanglements between her and Dan and her and her and Richard, or yeah. not with Dan so much as Richard. They had the Dan character taking pictures of her on the beach as he as he chased after her. They had the letters from other witnesses coming forward eventually. It's all there. Wow. So one of the characters even contacted a prominent Sarah Wendy's. The, the, the argument is that they, she sort of merged those two persons into her. Right. And 
that character in the book had even contacted a famous UFO researcher during her ordeal, wow. after her ordeal. So, you know, it's pretty clear, at least these investigators, these investigators flat out state, they say, we believe she just stole the story from this novel right. and well, told it as her own. If all of that is true. It's all true. And I'm not saying it is, but I haven't read Night Eyes. But it sure sounds like it. Yeah, it does. So that is the story of Linda Cortile, the Brooklyn Bridge abductee. Yeah. What do you think? I know I've never heard of it. You said, I know I've never heard of it? I said, I know why I've never Uh, heard of it. Why? Because it's just not my interest (sighs) area. I wouldn't, you know. No. I don't know if the book was made into any kind of a... I don't know. You think this would be all over a History Channel miniseries or a, you know, yeah. Well, maybe because it's movie. just too ridiculous. It's it's got some great points. It's probably a decent book, <laughs> and I'm sorry, a decent, a, a, an interesting story told factually by yeah. a believable person. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's it. Well, thanks. Hope Dean. you enjoyed that story. Of alien abduction, a wacky, wacky story of Linda Cortile. We'll bring you Betty and Barney Hill one of these days too. That's that's um, at least that's a little more seriousness to that story. Yeah, yeah. That's all. Tell them where they can find us and that kind of stuff. Oh, you know, the usual stuff. Yep, the usual. Where people are smart. People are smart. That's true. Google Weird World Podcast right and you'll find us. Is that true? I'm gonna do that right now. Okay. All right. See you okay. guys. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>